Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Um, so we're in 1 Corinthians 7, which the Bible at the back, it's page 794. Um, and we're going to be reading from uh, verse 17. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? Should he not become uncircumcised? Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? Should he not be circumcised? Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, then do so. For the one who was a slave and called to faith is in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who is free when it is called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when, when God called them. Now about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of, a, of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you from this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as they do not. Those who mourn, as if they did not. Those who are happy, as if they were not. Those who buy something, as if it was not theirs to keep those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. And an unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affair. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord, Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how can, she, how can she please her husband? I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, an undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably towards the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, and who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he does not, who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Thanks for reading, Ruth. Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you all this morning. A uh, few unfamiliar faces out there who I sort of met on the way through this morning. Welcome to church. I'm Simon, if I didn't share my name at the front. Um, I'm lead pastor here at City Light Church North Adelaide. Um, many of you know this. We're a church here at City Light that is elder-led. Um, we're a plurality of elders, so it's not just me running the show. We're a group of people, and we're a priesthood of all believers, right? So we are we're together in this Christian 
thing. Um, please do have your Bibles back open if you attempted to close it. Uh, we are going to be in that section of God's Word, chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians and verse 17 through to 40 or thereabouts. Um, we, uh, you know, welcome back. Welcome back to Corinth, uh, AD 55. That was when this letter was first written uh, by Paul to a church or a bunch of Christians living in the city of Corinth. Um, basically, Paul's responding to a letter or letters that they sent to him. And so Paul's kind of coming back. That's the nature of what we have in front of us. Um, Corinth, if you remember, was a successful city. Uh, Corinth, if you remember, is a sex-obsessed city. And Corinth is a spiritual city. That is where you've landed today, a successful, sex-obsessed, spiritual place, kind of. Um, and uh, that's where we are. We're in chapter 7 today. In this section, which we began looking a bit last, well, we began chapter 7 last week, thinking about sex and relationships and all that sort of stuff. Um, last week, if you were here, I mentioned that sort of last week we were looking at things to do with marriage, and then there was this really neat separation between singleness, which we were looking at today. And I probably shouldn't have said that, because really what you find is it's hard to separate these two issues, right, of marriage and singleness. They kind of go together. That's really how they're intended. And so I know there's that sense of which we're going to be thinking about singleness today, and we are going to touch on singleness. But don't expect me to speak over the next sort of three hours um, about simply the theme of singleness. Um, It'll come up, um, but and then we're going to actually have at the end of if I actually do finally stop talking, um, we're going to have uh, Christine and Mark come up and I'm going to interview them about their experience of being single or unmarried. That's what we're going to think about today. So if I'm no good, that'll be great. Um, so sort of hang in for them, which will be really good. But do um, yeah, keep your Bible open. Just a heads up, um, hopefully on the screen there's a picture of these. Here's just a few books that I found really helpful um, in thinking about. Again, this is not all about singleness, but here's three books that will help us think about that particular issue well. Um, the first one on the left is a book called Redeeming Singleness uh, by a guy named Barry Danilak. He's an American guy. Um, this is a really interesting book. Um, it's one of those books where you, you don't feel like you have to read every page twice, um, but it's, it's got a bit of depth to it, um, examining uh, issues related to singleness. And the, the subtext is how the storyline of Scripture affirms the single life. Um, really interesting book. It'll help you dig really deeply into issues related to um, singleness being unmarried. That's the first one. Um, this one um, is really great. Um, we know Sam Albury pretty well. Um, Sam Albury is a same-sex attracted man working in ministry. He's also unmarried. Um, and he's written this book, Seven Myths About Singleness. Um, if Danilak's book's kind of, um, not complex, but a bit, um, yeah, a bit more complex, this one is not complex in ideas. It's quite accessible and easy to read. Um, and um, Sam, speaking from his own experience as a single person, um, delves into some really neat issues. Um, this is a book that is not just, both, both these books, all these books are not just written for single people. These are books that are written for anyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus, whether you're um, unmarried, married, a pastor, thinking about being a pastor, all that sort of stuff. So I can highly recommend this. Um, this is really encouraging, challenging, readable, really good book. And this one, this is, guy, this is by, oh, I'm sorry, 
Sam Albury's British, so there's one from the US, one from the UK. Here's an Australian book. Yay! Finally, um, this is Mikey Lynch. Uh, Mikey Lynch uh, works as a staff worker in university ministry, um, and he's written this book called The Good Life in the Last Days, Making Choices When the Time is Short. This is not just about singleness or being unmarried. This is basically picking up on the fact that we live with the expectation that Jesus could return this afternoon. Um, And so the idea here is, what does it look like to live in the light of the return of Jesus when the time is short? Um, One of the cool things about this book is uh, that Mike sort of um, riffs a fair bit on 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, builds a bit of a picture on that. And so that's a a really neat book to read. Um, Australian author, Australian publication, rah, rah. There you go. So one from the US, one from the UK, one from around the corner. Um, So there you go. How about I pray, and we'll get stuck into the subject today. Let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word, and we thank you that we have this, um, this letter that Paul wrote to this church, um, this kind of yeah, little muddled and confused church, um, a bit like us um, in the first century, and we thank you that we've got it here today. We pray, Lord, as we think about your word this morning, uh, Father, that we would see Jesus, that by your spirit we'd hear Jesus. And by your spirit and through your word, we would love Jesus. So, Father, please transform us today. Help us to sit under your word. Father, to receive it as your kind and gracious and good word to us all this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I think you'd agree, right? We live in a time in history where there are dramatic and rapid changes taking place in people's understanding of marriage. Um, for some, right, marriage is an outdated institution that should be really, and is now really replaced with sort of all kinds of different lifestyles. Um, for others, it's the frontline battle. This issue of marriage is the frontline battle for rights and identity and personhood. Uh, there are changing attitudes to marriage. There are also changing attitudes to singleness. And I think there are, well, I think there's a great muddle in our world actually. Is it good to be single? Is it good to be married? Is it better to be single? Is it better to be married? Um, You know, if you're single, if you're married, what does that communicate to people around you about you? Um, There'll be some context, right, where if you are single, especially if you're an older person and you're single, people will make all kinds of assumptions or have perceived ideas about you. We live in a world that I think is thoroughly confused about the the question of singleness and marriage. Is one better than the other? What we think of marriage as the the goal of human life, you know, know, if you miss out on marriage, you know, if you can't find someone or if someone won't accept you, then you just got to accept being single. How do we think about these two states of life, unmarried or married? Certainly, I think that's the case, right? That we think of singleness and marriage as two different states of life. And I think it's true, right, uh, that people hold that the biggest change that can take place in your life is to move from being a single person to being a married person. Life consists in two parts, the time when you weren't married and then the time when you were married or married again and again and again, you know. The biggest turning point, the biggest change that can take place in your life is when you turn from being single to being a married person. 
Singleness and marriage are perhaps the two biggest categories that you exist in, the two most significant states or existence of life. Now, the Corinthians, right, to whom this letter was written, AD 55, this, to this city which was successful and sex-obsessed and highly spiritual, it's written to a bunch of people who are muddled about pretty much everything. Anyone feel that? I feel that. Muddle about pretty much everything. Don't for a second, right, think that our generation were the first group of people to be muddled about marriage. Um, the Corinthians, sadly, they've beaten us to it. Um, by about 2,000 years or just shy of that. Actually, they beat us to getting pretty much everything wrong before us, right? I mean, they got marriage wrong in, in all kinds of ways. That we, marriage and singleness in kind of ways that perhaps we don't sort of, we're not familiar with. So let me sketch out what they might have been thinking. So last week, um, Chapter 7, verse 1 through to 16, we thought about marriage and sex within marriage and relationships and divorce and remarriage and things like that. One of the big muddles of the Corinthian church, right, was that they believed, or at least a little vocal group within Corinth, they believed that singleness was actually superior. Being single was superior. That being single was much more spiritual, a better spiritual state to be if you're a Christian. Better than being married, actually. You could be much more spiritual if you were unmarried. You were able to be on a higher plane as a Christian if you were unattached. That actually derived at the beginning of this chapter from their attitude towards sex, uh, where some regarded sex as kind of defiling or contaminating and made you far less spiritual. So last week, right, if you were married, uh, they would say... um, you know, if you're married, okay, here's one thing you should do. Don't have sex if you're married because sex is going to contaminate you. It's going to defile you. Stay married, but don't have sex. That'll, be, you know, that'll make you a better spiritual Christian. And if you become a widow or if you become a widower, then you, you shouldn't really, you wouldn't want to remarry, would you? Because, well, now through circumstances, hopefully you're you know, no longer married through circumstances that you were out of not control of, you're now free from marriage, Right? Free now to pursue the higher spiritual life. So Paul dealt with that last week. They even went as far to say, right, if you're married, if you've got the opportunity, if you're prepared to be really serious about following this Jesus, you ought to separate from your husband or from your wife. By doing that, you can fully, more fully devote yourself to following Christ. And certainly they would say, right, if you're married to an unbeliever, wow, You've got to get out of that. can't possibly be a spiritually higher plane Christian if you're married to an unbeliever. Now, right through the first half of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And the principle or the basis for Paul's assessment is right in the middle of this chapter, verses 17 through to 24. Now, let's read it again. I think it's coming up on the screen. Paul says... In light of all that stuff about marriage, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Oh, hang on, jump back, jump back. Too quick. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? Go. Hey, he should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Here it is. Keeping God's commands is what counts. 
Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who is a slave when called to faith is in the Lord, is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who is free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. It's a long little section of scripture, but basically Paul is saying, you do not become more spiritual as a Christian by changing your circumstances. You don't become more spiritual by becoming a single person. You don't become more spiritual by becoming a married person. You don't become more spiritual by leaving your secular job and going into full-time Christian vocational work. You don't become more spiritual by leaving wealth and becoming poor or by going from being poor to becoming rich. You don't become more spiritual by turning from a Gentile into a Jew. You don't become more spiritual by changing your circumstances. That's what Paul says. Where you are, this is the principle, where you are is where God has placed you at the moment, so be a Christian where you are. Don't think the grass is greener on the other side. If only I could change my circumstances, then I'll be more Christian. That's the principle Paul's lays down. So if you're married, be Christian in your marriage. If you are unmarried, if you're a single person, be Christian in your singleness. And if the opportunity comes along to get married, or if you become a widow, that doesn't make you less of a Christian. Doesn't necessarily make it easier to be a Christian. Doesn't necessarily make it harder to be a Christian. You be Christian where God has placed you and in the circumstances where you are. Now we come then to chapter 7 and verses 25 to 40. Essentially, from verse 25 onwards, Paul introduces a new topic, which begins like this. Now about the virgins. And if you were going to sleep up until then, now you're awake, right? Because like, what, what on earth is Paul talking about? Well, it's most likely as you read through this section that when Paul speaks of the virgins, and it should be, um, they should, in our, I'll put it in, itali- in italics there because it should be the definite article, um, because this group of people, uh, this group of people called the virgins is a group of people that the Corinthians have written to Paul about. So it's a, a group of people. So it should be the virgins, not now about virgins. Does that make sense? It's a bit of... Grammar. Grammar is good for you, you know. Um, definite article, rah, rah. It's a term that Paul has received from the Corinthians in a letter, basically. And the term is basically used for young women, could be young people in general, but young women who are engaged to be married or likely betrothed to be married. It seem like these virgins, this group of people, are under pressure from the super spiro Christians at Corinth. They're feeling the heat from these people who are saying, you know, if I was you, I wouldn't go through with it, you know, because if you do, you're going to be less of a Christian, you know. Because how would Paul's principle, right, stay as you are, his principle of becoming a Christian doesn't mean you have to change your circumstances. You can be a disciple of Jesus wherever you are. You know, we get how that applies to a person who's married. We get how that applies to a person who is not married. But what about a person who's kind of halfway between? A person who's engaged to be married. How does the principle apply? 
And it would seem that there are some in Corinth who would say, you've got to break it off. You've got to break it off. If you want to be serious about your Christian life, if you want to take advantage of being the most spiritual person you can be, the most Christian person you can be, then don't go through with the marriage. Break it off while you've still got the chance. I realise there are a couple of people in our church family who are engaged. I'm talking to you. No. Um, This is a different topic, right? It's a shift. We're talking about people who are not in one clear category or the other, married, widowed, or unmarried. We're talking about some people who have a, a commitment to be married, but that commitment hasn't been followed through yet. And what follows in chapter 7, verse 25, to the end... I think is without doubt the most challenging passage in all of 1 Corinthians. I put it in, I like top fives, I put it in my top five most challenging passages in the New Testament. We're going to move through it together, right? I think I've got my head around it. I don't think I've ironed out all the tricky bits, but we're going to do our best to get as far through it as we can. Are you with me? Yeah? Okay. So the topic introduced is introduced, and I want you to notice in verse 25 how Paul sort of signals how he's going to treat this topic. It's going to be different. In part, that could be why I think this is difficult to understand. He says, chapter 7, verse 25, Now about the virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment. So Paul says, I basically, I'm going to give you my opinion. I'm going to give you some advice here. That's what he's basically saying. As one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. And we're going to see that Paul underlines this kind of style of behaviour again and again and again and again. In the particular matter that you've raised about people who are engaged to be married, Paul says, I actually don't have a command from the Lord as to whether you should or you shouldn't get married. I'm not going to give you a command from God on that. I'm going to give you advice. I'm going to give you my opinion because it's not a matter of right or wrong. Sort of matter of, you know, whether you really ought to do one thing or another as if there's some moral compulsion or a spiritual imperative. It's an area where there is real freedom, Paul says. I don't know about you, but one of the things about us is that I think most of us would love things to be kind of cut and dry, black and white, right, when it comes to particular decisions in our lives. We prefer there to be a rule, I reckon, about most things if we, you know, we're honest. One of the things about Christian freedom, though, that we can often draw back from and resist is that Christian freedom puts the responsibility to make decisions on who? On us. There's a whole host of areas, right, where God doesn't say, do this or don't do that. A whole host of areas, right, where there might be two, three, four, twelve options in front of us, and God expects us to make decisions. That's why God's given us brains, minds, with the capacity to make decisions about things, to make godly decisions, yes. If the path is sinful, brothers and sisters, then don't go down that path, but there may be many paths, numerous decisions that are equally non-sinful and they're equally pleasing to God. Now this is the subject, like this, and this is a subject like that, says Paul. I haven't got a command for you, nor am I going to give you one. Here's an area of life where there is real freedom. Okay, I'll give you some advice, Paul says. And when Paul says it's advice, he wants to underline that it's good advice. I imagine if I had a coffee with Paul down the road and he gave me some advice about something, I'd go, sounds pretty good to me, you know. He's a trustworthy person. He's a person worth listening to. 
His advice is advice we ought to take seriously. But he'll keep saying over and over again throughout this passage, this is advice. It's my opinion. And in your particular circumstance, it may not apply. You might do what I advise, says Paul. You might not follow my opinion. All that's okay, he'll keep saying. All right. He begins dealing with this subject, and he keeps doing it in this letter um, when he deals it with the Corinthians. I'm going to give you my opinion. Now, to, my, to be honest, right, it's a very tricky business dealing with the Corinthians. It's a bit like being the pastor of City Light Church North Adelaide. Very tricky business. You don't want to be in my shoes. No. The way he, the way he operates, right, this is the way Paul operates. He, when they say things, right, that he agrees with, he'll go, yeah, I agree with that, right? But in places where he totally disagrees, he'll, like, he'll tell them like it is. That's what he basically does. So have a look at verse 26. Here's a moment where he agrees with them. Because of the present crisis, Paul says, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. He's talking about the unmarried, the engaged people. And remain as you are, I take it, means stay unmarried. He actually broadens the categories in verse 27, you see. Are you pledged? Are you married? Um, don't seek a divorce. Um, are you unmarried? Don't look for a wife. That's what he kind of says. Now, this is Paul's preference. Remain as you are. And in that, he agrees with the Corinthians, right? At least as far as remaining single or unmarried is concerned. Paul's advice to the single person, generally speaking, is stay as you are, as Paul himself is. He is single. Back in chapter 7, verse 7, Paul will say, I wish that all people were as I am, as a single person. He has, as we will see throughout this, past, this chapter, a preference for singleness. Paul's advice here, though, is very different to the Corinthians' view of things. I mean, they were saying you should remain single because, well, if you remain single, you'll be more spiritual if you do that. It's morally superior to stay single, higher form of existence. It's stepping down. It's actually a compromise if you get married. No, says Paul. And he makes it really clear that his reasons for preferring singleness are completely different to the reasoning from the Corinthian church. I've got three reasons why they're different, right? The first reason is this. Have a look at the beginning of verse 26. Because of the present crisis. Now, we can't be sure what this present crisis is. The crisis, this present distress that's going on, AD 55. Uh, the word Paul uses for crisis there is the same word that he uses to describe his own persecutions. Probably the present crisis is a reference to an actual situation in Corinth at the time. You've got to read between the lines to do this. That's a bit of a dangerous thing to do. But my guess is that the Christians in Corinth may well be under persecution. Their lives could be at threat. And Paul is saying here, in light of that, in the present crisis, given the persecutions, in your circumstances, remain as you are. As one commentator said, don't change ships in the middle of a battle. Don't get married. Don't divorce. Don't change your circumstances in the present crisis. It's very different advice than the Corinthians were giving, right? Secondly, he wants to underline the nature of this advice, that it's only advice. Verse 28, but, Paul says, if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. That is, 
I'm giving you my preferences in the circumstances. I'm not giving you a command. And if your preference is different to mine, if you choose to get married, you've done nothing wrong. And you know what? He means it. That's what he means. Some think Paul's being a bit tongue-in-cheek here, right, that he's damning marriage with faint praise. But he's not. He means what he's saying. Quite contrary to the Corinthians, who want, he wants to stress you've done nothing wrong if you get married. And thirdly, Paul gives the reason for his advice. End of verse 28, where he says, But to those who marry, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Literally, he says, those who marry will face troubles in the flesh. Paul's point is definitely not that you'll be worse off spiritually by marrying. But certainly in circumstances of persecution, your troubles will increase if you have dependence. I mentioned last week what it's like to leave work and come into my house where I have these unrealistic expectations of what it's going to be like. All my children, perfectly clean, just saying, hello, Dad, it's so lovely to see. It's never like that. You know, can you imagine, right, in, in times of persecution, to have all these dependents, quick, we've got to get out of here. It would be kind of challenging. Of course, you may be saying much more than that, but the emphasis on there will be physical troubles that you may take on when you are married. And again, Paul says, if you choose to take them on, you've done nothing wrong. But Paul's basic position is he prefers singleness for this kind of reason. He'd prefer to spare you the troubles that marriage will bring you. It may be troubles in the particular circumstances of the present crisis in Corinth. It may be particular burdens that marriage comes with. I'll get to them a little bit later. But Paul says, I'd like to spare you those burdens. And so I have a preference for singleness, he says. Now, Paul can speak like this. And I don't, I don't know if you're feeling like this is a bit weird, what Paul is saying. But you know, I think it's actually particularly weird for a Jew like Paul to speak like this. You see, for Jewish people, um, with their Old Testament heritage and their culture that kind of arose from that, marriage was considered a truly great blessing from God. Marriage and family were considered truly great blessings from God. And yet, here's a Jewish man with all that background speaking of having a preference for singleness. How can he speak like that? How can Paul say, I have a preference for singleness, but it really doesn't matter? In a few moments, right, Paul is going to say, it really doesn't matter if you're single or if you're married. Don't get uptight about it. It's not a big issue. How can he talk like that? Why does he talk like that? When for many of us, it's an enormous issue. When you've got to get marriage and singleness in proper perspective, Paul says. And that's what he explains in verse 29. Have a look at verse 29. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if that was not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Do you notice the, the first and the last bit of that paragraph? 
The first and the last bit of that paragraph shape Paul's thinking. Shapes Paul's thinking about the present crisis and the stress that the Corinthians are under. Shapes Paul's thinking about singleness and marriage. And it shapes Paul's thinking actually about everything in life. He says, the time is short. This world in its present form is passing away. Let me just take a few minutes to, minutes to see if we can get Paul's perspective. Because it's the perspective that the gospel gives us. You see, when we understand the truth about Jesus Christ, that he's died for the sins of, our, of the world, including our sins, and that he's risen from the dead, the first fruits of the new creation, you realise that the future has already been set in motion. That glorious new creation that we're going to be in if you're a Christian here today when Jesus returns and makes all things new. That future has already been set in motion. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that future will go on for all eternity. We who know Jesus, we who trust in him, have that future already in plain view. We can see what the future holds. And what the future holds is Jesus reigning as Lord forever. It's not so much the amount of time that is left that Paul is speaking about here as the radical new perspective that the Christian has of their life today because we've already seen what the future holds forever and ever and ever. You see, what matters a great deal to you and what matters hardly at all to you is very different once you've seen this future. Once you've seen what is going to last forever and ever and ever, that what's going to last forever and ever is the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. That changes everything. Jesus will be Lord in a million years. Jesus will be Lord in a billion years. Jesus will be Lord forever and ever. Now, how does that change how you think about life today? Well, that's the five examples that Paul kind of gives in the text. He says in verse 29 about wives, if you have a wife, live as if you don't have a wife. If you're mourning, live as if you aren't mourning. If you're happy, live as if you're not happy. If you're a purchaser, if you buy something, live as if it's not yours to keep or hold on to. And if you're a consumer, verse 31, live as if you're not engrossed by the things you consume. Now, of course, this is a wonderful passage to take out of context, right? I've come across husbands who've wanted to escape their responsibility as a husband, and so they've said, I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians 7. Time's short. This world is passing away. You know, Christian husbands who want to escape their responsibility, and they cite this text, you know, those who have wives live as if they don't have a wife. I'm sitting there going, you know, the time is short. What really matters, Simon, is the work of God. And, you know, even if I'm neglecting my family and my children, so be it. Is not kingdom work more important than my family and my wife and my children? Or the hard-hearted person who goes, I don't want to sympathise with someone who's mourning. It's all going to be sorted out eventually, so what's the big deal? Sort of neglects Romans 14, right? Or Romans 12. Um, you know, we mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, those ways of treating these words is not what Paul is saying here. You might as well say the form of this world is passing away, so I'm going to be a thief. It would be stupid, wouldn't it? Because it goes against all the Bible teaches about godliness and our responsibility in this world. It's not about escapism. 
It's not about aloofness or standing back from the suffering of this world. It's a, it's a question of control. What determines and shapes your life now that you've seen this glorious future? What shapes your existence? What is it that makes you who you are, what you are, what you do? It's not whether you're married or whether you're single that determines who you are, who you are as a person. Just as owning stuff doesn't determine who we are as people. That's not what your life consists of. That's not what my life consists of. It's an important principle, right? What we are in on, what we get invited into when we come into faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is that we are invited into a future that cannot be shaken, a future where nothing will perish, spoil or fade, where we, the church, the bride of Christ, be united with our groom forever and ever and ever. And when you're in on that, whether you're married, whether you're unmarried, it doesn't actually make a huge difference. If you're in on that, whether you're rich or poor, it doesn't make a huge difference. We are in on that where, where Jesus is Lord, your Lord, my Lord. That is what shapes our lives. So we're called by Paul not to get things out of perspective. Time is short. The form of this world is passing away. And what Paul is getting at here is also how we ought to think about marriage and singleness. Paul really says it isn't a huge deal. It doesn't determine who you are as a person, whether you're married or whether you're single. Serve the Lord Jesus. You can be Christian. You can be headed for eternity, whether you're married or unmarried. Single or married, for Paul, probably not, ought not to be the big deal that we make it out to be. Now, to return to the subject, what's the big difference being married or being single? Let's have a look at what Paul says, verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. Paul basically says, I'd like you to be free from anxiety. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Um, obviously, Paul's talking about Christian people here, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the world, how she can please her husband. Now, this is, this is just how, this is what Paul says. This is just descriptive. It's not prescriptive. I'd like to underline right now how wrong it is for a married man or a married woman uh, to not have divided concerns. Paul says, if you're married, you have divided concerns. That's what he basically says. You've got obligations to your spouse, your family, and you've got obligations to the Lord. They're the divided concerns. Now, obviously, the Lord is concerned that you look after your spouse and your family. But a person who is married ought to have divided concerns. Paul says here, if you haven't got those extra responsibilities, then you've actually got more time for direct gospel activities to get involved in. Now that's how it is, says Paul, and that's why Paul has a preference for singleness. Paul says if you're not married, you've got more time and focus for gospel-directed activities. I wonder, if you think about Paul's life, right, could Paul have done the gospel work that he did if he was married? You know, 
I think he could have, right? I think he could have done what he did, but he would have neglected his wife in the process, yeah? You know, all over the Mediterranean, preaching the gospel, town to town, getting beaten up, being run out of town, being imprisoned, close to death on multiple occasions. It was good for Paul to be single. Gave him freedom to do things. And he prefers singleness for that reason as it frees up opportunities. And he has his own personal preference. But again, look at verse 35. He wants to underline the purpose of what he's saying. I am saying this, Paul says, for your own good. Um, Very important, Paul says, to have marriage and singleness kind of in perspective. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, not literally not to put a noose around you, but that you may live in a right way in individual devotion to the Lord. I actually want, Paul says, you to have all the opportunities you can have to serve. And my experience tells me that in singleness, there are all kinds of opportunities that open up. Don't get me wrong. The right idea, Paul says. I'm not saying you ought not to get married. I'm not saying if you do married, you've done something wrong. Or if you do marry, you're less Christian. Or if you do marry, you'll be less spiritual. That's what Paul's saying. As we draw a few threads together, the question still is, do I get married or do I not get married? That's the question. Wouldn't you love, oh, I don't know, wouldn't you love there be a rule, like just a clear rule on that one? You know, get married, don't get married. Right, sorted, done. Paul doesn't operate that way. The whole chapter is concluded from verse 36 right through to the end of verse 40. Um, We're not going to dive into that, but it basically is Paul just kind of summarising the same thing that he has said before. You have freedom to marry, you have freedom not to get married. Um, You can ask me that on the street or something afterwards. But I just want to tie things together with four key things that I want us to hear this morning as we've explored 1 Corinthians, this latter half of 1 Corinthians 7 together. And the first thing is this. A single person is in no way inferior to a married person. A single person is in no way inferior to that of a married person. I think in our culture, I think in our churches, culture generally, that we have a tendency to think that a single person, an unmarried person, is somehow inferior. Um, There was a book I was hoping to read in this past couple of weeks, which is basically dealing with this idea of how we've idolised marriage as a church community and how that's just, that's just incongruent with what Paul would say. I want us as a church here at City Light Church in North Adelaide to get rid of that idea altogether that somehow single people are inferior to those of married people. I, I had a look through our slack this, like, you know, over the past week to sort of, in a sense, terrible that I was dividing our church up. But it's really interesting, right? 50% of our church family here are unmarried, are single people. That is extraordinary. All the churches I've served at historically have always been about 70% married, 30% unmarried. We're about 50-50. If you're single, do not feel inferior. And and as your pastor, if at any stage I've made you feel like that, I apologise wholeheartedly. Please talk to me. And if you're a married person, of which I am, do not look upon someone who is unmarried as somehow inferior. 
Secondly, if God has given you the gift of singleness, then recognize that it can give you opportunities for Christian service that married people simply don't have. There is real value in singleness. Let me just say again, my church experience as a pastor, um, most churches that I've worked in would utterly collapse and fall into a heap if it wasn't for the work that single people were able to do in caring for and in serving in churches. Um, you know, a church we used to be in Sydney, like the, pretty much the entire kids' ministry was led by unmarried people who cared for my kids. It was, you know, wonderful. So many of us serving here because of that, so thank you. Thirdly, if God has not given you the gift of singleness, then it's actually better to get married. It's kind of what Paul said back in chapter 7, verse 7. Recognize that marriage does bring heavy responsibilities. Don't think that you can live as a single person if you're married. It's a mistake that I can, I've seen in Christian circles before. Single person, super zealous to serve Jesus and promote the gospel. They get married and think they can keep going on as zealously as before, promoting the gospel and things like that. Now, if you're going to go on as a single person, remain a single person. Don't get married. And fourthly and finally, and in an, impo- in an important way, it doesn't matter all, as much as we make it out to be. In an important way, the Bible insists that marriage is good. In an important way, equally important way, the Bible says that singleness, being unmarried, is good. In a very important way, the Bible says the time is short, the world in its present form is passing away, and what really matters is that you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and with the power and the help of the Holy Spirit, seeking to serve him, honour him, and bring him glory wherever you are. If you're a Christian, the Lord Jesus Christ has bought you. He's paid the price for you. His body poured out his blood, forgiving you, enduring the wrath of God that you deserved. Maybe you're single, maybe you're married. Should we get married? Paul kind of says singleness is nothing. Marriage is nothing. You know what matters for Paul? Keeping the commands of God. That's what counts. This is what is important. Brother and sister, you know, again, our society sort of splits people up into the status of being single and then miraculously transformed into being married, should that be what happens in your life, those two big categories, you have a far greater title, far more wonderful status. You're a Christian. You're a child of the Most High, whom you will see and one day enjoy forever. So let's live for him allowing the knowledge of eternity to shape every aspect of our lives here and now. We've been listening this morning a lot to me, a married man speaking about singleness and unmarriedness. We've been listening to the word of the Apostle Paul, who was, as far as we know, never married. But let me just conclude with one last word. This is from Sam Albury. Uh, from his book, The Seven Myths of Singleness. He says this, The issue is not whether this path or that path is better, whether singleness or marriage would bring me more good. The issue is God, and whether I will plunge myself into him. 
trusting him every day. Should we pray? And then I'm going to invite um, Mark and Christine up. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we thank and praise you for, um, for, for some of the basic truths that are here today, that we're not our own, we're bought as a, at a price with the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're reminded this morning, Lord, that this world is passing away and that a better world is coming. So Father, with those foundations in place, with that perspective in place, help us by your spirit to live for you. And with this particular question we've been thinking about this morning, marriage or singleness, relatively speaking, they matter less than whether we trust and obey you. Father, we pray, help us to be about the things that honour you and bring honour to you with our bodies. And Father, we just do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Christine and Mark, would you come forward? Give them these guys a round of applause. Um, even though... We might grab that microphone under Ruth's seat. Come and grab a beautiful orange chair. Very retro, just for you guys. Um, been thinking a bit today about um, singleness, um, being unmarried, and also in conjunction with being married. And I thought it'd be really cool to hear from you two, um, just briefly about you're both unmarried people, as far as I know, um, and um, you're both uh, people you serve here at church a lot, um, obviously from different backgrounds, and, that. and I thought it'd be really cool just to hear from you guys about your experience of being unmarried and single, and the the joys, the challenges of all that together. And so um, Mark and Christine didn't hear what I had to say before. Like I didn't prep them up and say, you know, you'd better sort of, you know, tie in with what I'm saying. Um, very much happy to hear from you guys um, how you feel about things. But uh, a bunch of questions. Um, maybe we'll start with you, Christine. Um, here's the first question. It's on the screen. What do you find most difficult? Uh, being single or unmarried, what's the, the greatest challenge for you? Um, um, the first is, for me, is on the change of friends. So some of my friends, we knew each other for quite a while, from their single to married. And uh, when they were single, we stayed over and they come to my place, I went to their place and chat overnight. And uh, some of my friends, they got married and they got kids. So we find it like sometimes it's hard to catch up that. Um, that as before, um, so I have to know, like, understand that the poverty of their life changed, and um, yeah, but we're still good friends. And uh, the second is um, sometimes I catch up with people, and uh, sometimes I'm the only person who is single in the group, or maybe there's only the other person is single, and. Uh, um, the challenge would be like the conversations sometimes not really feels like involving. Um, yeah, but there's a lot to learn like for us how to chat with couples and with people who have kids and uh, talk about parenting <laughs> and uh, yeah. Mm. 
Uh, I think it's probably two things. It sort of would be loneliness and uh, it, I guess, you know, probably common to most singles would be loneliness and sexual desire. But uh, as I've thought about it and I've read some stuff by Sam Albury, I found him really helpful. Um, I think sometimes our culture can sort of tie in to say you can only really be intimate through sex, but I think the Bible says intimacy can come through really deep friendships. Uh, and so, yeah, I've found really deep friendships to be great. Um, uh, and, yeah, that sort of the idea, you see David and Jonathan had a really deep friendship and then Jesus and his disciples, he had, a, he had the 12, but he also had a core group of three and then John the Apostle is described as the one that Jesus loved. And so it seemed like even Jesus had really special, deep friendships with people. Uh, and same as like a lot of the mission teams, they operated as teams of two or three together. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Thanks heaps. Second thing I'm going to hear from you guys is, what would you say to someone who desperately wants to be married but can't right now? Um, I, uh, yesterday in the car driving back, I asked Stella and Sebastian, my nine and six-year-old, like, do you want to be married or just stay unmarried? And they're like, oh, I really want to get married. I'm like, why? Um, but um, <laughs> what, would you say to, what would you say to someone who is really keen to get married, but you know, for them right now, that's not a gift that God has given them? How would you, how would you go? Um, I think the first thing I want to say is it's tough sometimes. And sometimes you'll find, like, uh, you pray to God for a spouse, but you don't know if God will answer the prayer, like how you prayed and uh, and you are waiting and lot of like doubting or uncertainty and uh, uh, for me like I find it uh, the first for girls uh, I felt like sometimes the girls would think oh am I not attractive to guys are we no one pursue us or like should I change some part of myself so I can make like uh, to make myself more attractive, um, but like I have to say, like uh, we always can find the identi identification in God, as He knows you the most and He understands you, and He is the Creator of you. So, like when you have a love doubting and go back to God, to know like you are beloved by Him no matter who you are, and uh, He died for you, uh, for your sin, and you just yeah, you are precious in His eyes. And then the second is, um, uh, find if you feel like you have the desire, you feel empty, uh, find the contentment in God. Uh, sometimes in the society, people will say like. Uh, you can find the fulfillment in marriage, and so you have that desire to be fulfillment. And um, but like you can, f for me, it's like I find the fulfillment in God, contentment in God, because uh, He is the only one we can find the fully satisfaction in Him. And uh, for me, I really uh, encourage people, like girls, to read this book, The Envy of Eve. And uh, for me, this book is really helpful to me to find, to know like that God is the one who can fulfill me, not any other person or guys or a spouse. Um, yeah. And uh, also, I encourage you uh, keep praying and keep talking to God about your struggling. I think God understands and God listens. And also, 
it's good like if you find someone who is trustworthy and you can talk to them for your struggle and uh, can pray together and support each other. Uh, yeah, I think first of all it's a really good desire uh, to be married, and so um, as we've heard from one Corinthians seven, so uh, you know. Don't give up. Um, keep pursuing it if that's something that you really desire. Uh, but then um, I also think that uh, Jesus was a realist and he, in Matthew 19, talks about um, uh, three sort of, I guess, states or ways that people are single and one is by choice and the other two are not by choice. And so sometimes due to circumstances and all sorts of things, we may not actually get the opportunity to be married. Uh, but somehow I think that we do know the character of God and we um, know that he has a plan that is for our good and so we can trust him that that's good. Um, and then I think maybe also I've, uh, I think it's good to, in 1 Corinthians 7, it talks about the gift of singleness. Uh, some people think that that's like a, an incredible talent or ability to cope with remaining single, but I think Paul is actually talking about it being a present from God. Uh, for many people who are single, they think, well, it's not exactly a, a wanted present. Um, you can have that one back, God. But um, I think as I, as I look at, I guess Sam Albury has had a phrase which really stuck with me, and it's not to, it's don't compare the lows of uh, singleness to the highs of marriage. You know, have a, a realistic understanding of both. Uh, and there are some real positives um, about singleness that I'm really thankful for. The flexibility uh, and, yeah, the opportunity to devote more time to serving God. Mm. Mm. I, yeah, I'm just on that, I think one of the things I really appreciate in Sam Albury's book on the seven myths of singleness was that idea of talking about gifts and God gives gifts to his church for the good of the church as well. And so um, that gift of singleness has a real opportunity to bless and build up the body of Christ, not just add some kind of holding pattern or negative thing, yeah, or an unwanted thing. It's actually really helpful. Yeah. The third question for you guys, what does it look like for a single person to make the most of their singleness? You probably touch on that, you know, you've mentioned that a little bit, Mark, already, but yeah, Christine. Um, yeah, um, yeah, the flexibility, and so, like, um, to serve God and uh, also improve yourself. I think a Mark can... <laughs> mention that more but like I want to say like to uh, I find it like uh, we can serve family people as well like when I stay with Tom and Maggie and I just say sometimes I say you guys go dating I can help to take out Jack in the afternoon and so they can go dating and uh, so I think as a singleness like we can also serve like a family people as well and also, we got more time, so like to catch up with people and care for them, even like Bible study with them, and because people have various of time schedule and the singleness, like we can, uh, we have more flexibility of our time to match others' time for catch up or Bible study together. Mm. You told you told me one day that when you said that to you know, Maggie and Tom you guys go out and I'll look after Jack. They didn't come back for days. Is that right? Yeah, just, just joking, just joking. It's not true. Um, sorry. Yeah, I think um, 
there, yeah, there's definitely more time and flexibility to serve God and uh, do kingdom work. Um, the Bible describes, I guess that, yeah, that, like life is short uh, and one, that's a major theme of 1 Corinthians 7. And then in other places, the Bible says life is like a vapor. You know, it's like steam. It just, it's there and it disappears. In, in comparison with eternity, it's really short. And so I think that's really helped me to think about what am I doing with my life? Um, how can I make it count for eternity? Because sometimes there's a tendency to sort of uh, moan about singleness and then pursue sort of selfish um, goals and options. Um, but I think uh, the theme of 1 Corinthians 7 is to use your singleness to maximise uh, building God's kingdom. Um, and then uh, that, that while marriage is a picture of uh, Christ and his church, uh, singleness is in some ways a picture of the sufficiency of Christ uh, that Jesus gives us and I think it definitely uh, means that yeah there's a, there has to be a natural tendency to more be more dependent upon God mm. yeah absolutely the uh, the last question that I put to you guys was how can we as a church uh, City Light Church North Adelaide and maybe the groups that we're part of as well um, how can we love and serve our single brothers and sisters well? How can we kind of be that family together? Yeah. Um, first, like, as a, like a, a single from overseas, like we don't have like a family here. And uh, I, I feel like a really warming to um, be invited to the family meal. And uh, sometimes Tom and Maggie invite me to go to their family meal so it makes me like feel like I have a family in Australia and uh, also like doing Christmas is really important uh, like we see Christmas is a family time to get together but there's a lot like people might don't have uh, family in Australia or in Adelaide and uh, it will be nice like we can be invited to your family meal and uh, yeah and the second is like beware aware of the groups like uh, people catch up and uh, maybe there are some singles when there are more couples and uh, it will be good like people can chat in different topics and uh, yeah to make uh, the singleness feel more inviting in the group and uh, also. Um, there's one tip. Uh, I just saw like a, a, an article and I find it, it might be helpful. Like uh, it, the article called Why Don't I Sit With My Husband at Church? And the la article, it talked about like some couples and some wife, they saw, they saw, oh, there's a single or new newcomer, a female, and uh, I would like to sit next to, next to her. And the husband see, oh, there's a, single male and uh, always sit alone so we can sit next to him so i think like that would be uh, sometimes a good idea for the church yeah yeah i find it really helpful that our church doesn't have like a you know a singles discipleship group and a married discipleship group everyone's in the you know the same family together and it's it's all mixed um uh, and then I guess the other thing is I would say, um, you know, don't, don't assume basically, like you might think, oh, 
I don't know whether singles will be interested in coming to lunch with our family or, or us as a husband and wife who might feel like the third wheel, but actually I've really appreciated it when different people have just said, oh, how about we hang out for afternoon tea or lunch or dinner or something, and uh, I think it's just a great way, and in the same way, uh, I guess the challenge is for me to also include couples and families in things that I'm doing, uh, to just be more of a family as a church. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I think we're better together, right? Yeah, and I think that's where that's the thing we should be really encouraging. Yeah. Hey guys, that's probably need to call it quits there, but thanks so much. Can you guys give these guys a round of applause? Thanks for um, as the band comes up, uh, we're gonna sing together, then we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So um, let me pray and uh, then we're gonna sing. Father, thank you again for all the good things you give us. Uh, Lord, help us, we pray again. Uh, We thank you for Mark and we thank you for Christine as they've shared with us today uh, the joys and the struggles of uh, their situation in life and their uh, their singleness and being unmarried. Uh, We thank you for them. Thank you for the blessing they are to us. Uh, Father, we do pray. Uh, Again, we are better together. Um, You've saved us into a family. Help us to be the family you've called us to be. And Lord, help us as we have learned today to not seek to change our circumstances. It's, it's good to desire different things, but we pray that you'd help us to serve you in the circumstances we find ourselves in. And so as we continue to worship you today, help us to do that in spirit and truth. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church/northadelaide.